Happy Mother's Day, moms. Hello. So glad you're here. It's the Lord's Day. It's a good day. We're going to be finishing up Mark 4 today with verses 35 through 41. It's a short passage, but it's oh so good. Each part of the story of Mark thus far has been telling us more and more about who Jesus is. We started out asking, who is Jesus? And up to this point, we've seen him preaching. He's teaching, doing this with authority. We've seen him gathering disciples. He's cast out demons. He's healing the sick, forgiving sin. And he declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. He's a teacher filled with godly wisdom. And as we continue this journey through the book of Mark, we're going to keep discovering more and more and more about who Jesus is. Who is the person of Jesus? And we're going to ask along with the disciples today, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'm going to encourage you to read along with me Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them on the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you remember the story, Jesus and his disciples, they've finished up a successful day of ministry. This is a great day of ministry on all accounts. And they're physically and emotionally spent. And now Jesus tells the disciples, hey, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's go retire. Let's head to the other side. And it's at this point that the disciples, they've seen all sorts of sides of Jesus. And now they see The human side, the real, real human side. Jesus is a real human being. He is tired. He's exhausted. He's on the back of the boat snoring. He's he's passed out. He's asleep. He's tired. Jesus is there. He's been pressed on all sides. He's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. Jesus really needs sleep. And as often is true of the case, after great successes in life, how quickly storms crop up. How quickly after a wonderful day, here comes the storm. And danger has now come upon God's people, and Jesus is asleep. Just some quick geography, it helps us understand the situation here. The Sea of Galilee, it sits 700 feet below sea level. And just 30 miles to the north is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet high. Very, this huge mountain. And the cold air rushes in from the mountain and mixes with the warm air coming off the Sea of Galilee. And, And this is a common thing that happens. Storms rise up out of the blue, out of nowhere. Now, there are professional fishermen on the boat, and they're used to this. And since we know that, we need, to, we need to step back and go, oh, this is unusual. These fishermen are panicking. This is not right. They're, this is something that doesn't normally happen. And so they do what any of us would do in this situation. They panic. <laughs> Their boat is filling up with water. The buckets cannot bail fast enough. And Jesus is over here sleeping. Sleeping through a thunderstorm. The pillow is soaking wet. He's asleep. 
And now we're often quick, all throughout the Gospels, we're quick to go, those silly disciples. They just don't get it, do they? They just, those disciples, and we laugh at them a little bit. But I read this and I, I greatly sympathize with them. The wind is raging. The sea is flooding in. The men are crying for their mothers. Where's Jesus? Verse 28, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And I love that Mark mentions that. The one pillow, he's on the one pillow, the cushion. He's asleep in the back of the boat. And they wake him up saying, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're drowning? How quickly the disciples forgot everything up to this point that Jesus had done. Even the skilled fishermen are overwhelmed. This is the end. All is lost. The kingdom of God. Jesus just spoke about the kingdom of God. And here it is in a little boat and it's about to be gone. The end of the kingdom of God is here. Jesus, don't you care about that? Well, what happens? Jesus is quick to his feet. He rebukes the wind and the waves. In fact, the same language used here is used prior in Mark with a demon-possessed man who comes to Jesus. He rebukes the demon. He muzzles the demon. Jesus, in the same way, is speaking in tones of anger towards the wind. One, one commentator said he menaced the wind. He frightened the wind. <laughs> Jesus scolds the storm like a disobedient child. He muzzles the sea like a newborn puppy. Hush up. Miraculously, we're told the water is dead calm, smooth as glass. The hurricane dissipates. It's embarrassed at what's happened. You see, when the Creator speaks, all shall be silent. The sea in ancient times, if you're familiar with this, in all ancient cultures, the sea is a picture of chaos. It's a picture of unrest. And the only thing that can control the sea is a God. And even then, just barely. You know, Poseidon has his go with the sea. And he's the God of the sea, apparently. In Revelation 21.1, it's mentioned as a positive thing. Also, there was no more sea. You see, in heaven, there's no more unrest. There's no more chaos. There's no more, nothing that has not been put in subject to Jesus Christ. Jesus, earlier in Mark, has told the Pharisees, he says, on the Sabbath day, you must come to me for rest. You see, I'm not just the instructor of rest. I am rest. And here he says, I am not just one with power. I am power. And everything on this earth has life and breath That borrows their power from me. I am the sustainer. I am the creator of the universe. I bring peace to chaos. And we're told that before the storm, the disciples are scared. And after Jesus calms the storm, they are terrified. (laughs) It's literally translated, they feared with great fear. They are in fear of fear. (laughs) I seriously doubt that in that moment of terror as well, they, they honestly thought, hey, you know what? You know what? If we just believe, let's go ask Jesus. You know what Jesus will do if we wake him up? He will calm the storm. Of course, that's what he'll do. No, I I think that was possibly the last thing on their mind. Nobody calms storms. Gods do that. They're panicking. And so when Jesus wakes up and he tells the storm to be quiet, they freak out. Who can do that? I thought only gods could do that. Ding, ding, ding. It's not what they're expecting. Simply, they were simply upset. Jesus, don't you care about our lives? Don't you care about your own life? They're left trembling and they ask this question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Is this the Lord? 
All these questions, we're, we're leading up to all these questions. Uh, Mark 8 is going to be the, the penultimate time where Jesus goes to them and says, who do you, who do you say I am? And, Mar- and then Peter's there and he goes, you are the Christ, son of the God. You are the Christ, the son of God. And that is what it's all been leading up to. We're not there yet. I'm just giving you a spoiler. So as we seek to answer this question today, I want to ask a few other questions. And these are going to serve as our points. First question is simply this. Does God care if we drown? Does our God care if we perish? Pastor Charles Spurgeon, he says, our complaint sometimes takes the shape like this. He said, God allows natural laws to proceed in their prescribed course, even when his children will be crushed by them. There is a vessel at its sea. It's surrounded in dense fog. Prayers are offered up by the godly men on board for the right guidance of the vessel. But it continues to be steered as it is now. It will come upon a rock. And on a rock it does come, notwithstanding their prayers. Does not God care that a vessel should perish with people on board who pray for direction and deliverance? Does God not care? You will remember Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus. Jesus, our brother Lazarus, who you love, is sick. Jesus says, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll be, I'll be right there in three days. He waits. He waits. And then Jesus shows up and both Mary and Martha say, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And he looks at Martha and he says, don't you know he'll, you know, He'll rise again. Yeah, in the last day. I know he'll rise again when, when God comes. Yeah, he'll rise in the last day. No, 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 Martha. Open your eyes. You're about to see something wonderful. Why, Jesus? Why did you wait? Don't you care about us? How many of us in this room have dear ones who are sick, currently sick, have been sick? Day and night we pray, we plead. The fever takes its course. Surgery is still required. The broken bones take the proper time to mend. You see, God does not always alter the physical laws of the body just for the convenience of his chosen people. To us, poison is poison. Disease is still disease. And oftentimes we can pray and we can pray and we can pray and it gets worse. And for many, this silence from God becomes deafening. Lord, are you asleep? Don't you care if we drown? See, often our own sin leads us into difficulties due to our our own wickedness, our own foolishness. But there are plenty of times, especially in Scripture, where God leads his people into the storm. Now, there are those, of course, who who will hear me say this and go, no, no, let's not do that. God had no hand in such and such and this and that. You see, God had nothing to do with the hurricane or the earthquake. God, God would never let his children suffer in that way. That's not what he wants It's out of his control. But would you open your eyes? (laughs) Do you see our Lord on this boat? Do you not tremble with the disciples? Who then is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. How How many waves have you menaced in your life? How many storms have you silenced? How many times have you told the hurricane to to be quiet and it listened? Would you dare to say that anything was outside of God's sovereign power? The Bible says, is my hand too short? Is God's hand too short? Is, 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 if God has nothing to do with this, then what is it? And some will say, well, it's just the laws of nature. It's just the laws of nature. No, the laws of nature are powerless 
in and of themselves. Jesus is power. And if God is alone the one who works all things, he says, I create the light. I create darkness. And earlier last week in the parables, we saw that not a single seed can sprout. Not a bud can burst forth in beauty unless Jesus says, yes, do it. And so we have to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with the cry of anguish from the disciples. Because in our darkest hour, in my darkest hour, this has been my cry. Lord, don't you care about me? Don't you care if I drown? And I would like to chalk it all up to fate. I would love for it just to be fate and coincidence. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I could just say it's all chance? No, that's actually horrible. That's actually terrifying. If, if this was all fate, if this was all a random act of the cosmos, then chaos reigns. But here what we're told, and what disciples are told, is that fate is a blind man who rushes wildly into the darkness because he must. Chance is nothing, and if chances of it being chance are no chance, there's nothing there. Chance is nothing. There are no coincidences. Instead, as good Presbyterians, we believe in God's providence. We believe in God's sovereignty over all things. We believe in God's foreordained purpose and program for all of life. And that's good news. Because you see, what's happening to the disciples, what's happening in your life and my life is not fate. It's a loving father ordering all things for the good of his children. And what good father does not discipline and correct his children at times? Here's a question. Is this how the verse goes? Those whom I hate, I reprove and discipline. Is that what God says? No, it is written, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And when we perceive his heavy hand upon us, instead of saying, Lord, do you not care if we perish? We should cry out in resignation, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Again, if you, if you read the apostles' question with an emphasis, you'll feel it as I feel it. Teacher, don't you care if we perish? You see what they're getting at? We're your apostles. We love you. Don't you care about us? Isn't, certainly, we're spending our lives for you. We're in service to you. We are your children. Don't you care about us? Like, it's not the world here. The world is not on the boat. It's your people that are on the boat. Shouldn't we get special treatment? I prayed that prayer. (laughs) Again, the verse is not, the branches which bring forth no fruit shall be pruned. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. A good father disciplines, he corrects, he sharpens his children. And the Bible tells us that people are born blind so that God's glory might be shown in their lives. That God's grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weakness. There are often greater wonders when he sustains his people through trouble than if he had just delivered them immediately out of it. The wonder and glory of the bush is that it burns, but it's not consumed. In the midst of the fiery furnace, there's a fourth man standing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, God is being glorified through our trials. God will work it for the good. And we cannot see with God's eyes. We, you know, we don't have 20-20 vision. We can't always see what God is doing. But as Spurgeon says, we need, we need to learn to kiss the waves that dash us upon the rock 
of Christ. And this is now where some might say, okay, thanks, no thanks. (laughs) That sounds awful. You don't get what I've been through. I don't deserve the bad cards I've been dealt. And when I go to God in prayer, he's silent. My God's asleep on the boat, and he won't wake up. He doesn't care about me. And you see, this is precisely when we need the gentle rebuke from Jesus Christ. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's saying, do you always need little great job stickers from God? Must you constantly be petted and pampered like spoiled children? Will we at the slightest inconvenience turn like Job's wife? Job, curse God and die. Just get it over with. And what does Job say? Should we accept only good things from God and never anything bad? (laughs) Master, do you not care if we drown? What a cruel question. This is from the disciples, from us. Does God not care? What more proof of God's love do we need than the flowing wounds of Christ? And the Bible says we are afflicted. We're not crushed. We're perplexed, not driven to despair. Persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. Beloved, you can be brought low, but you will never be brought low to the dungeons of hell. You can only be brought low, but no lower than the grave. By God's grace. So this leads us into our second question. How then could we ever doubt his love? How could we ever doubt God's love for us? Now notice right off the bat, it's not the storm that wakes Jesus. I mean, that's, it's a comical scene almost in a way. How on earth does Jesus not wake up from wind and the waves and the water and it's flooding and screaming? He sleeps through it. He's responsive, though, to the touch of his people. It's only when they come to him and they stir him. That's when he hears the voice of his people and he wakes up. And you say, well, that's hard to believe. My wife can sleep through a train that would come through our house if she's tired, okay? But the second she hears a whimper from my children, she's up. Jesus is responsive to our touch. He's responsive to the cries of his children. He does not... He answers when we call to him. This is why after he calms the storm and the water, there's no comforting word. It's a rebuke regarding their lack of faith. How could you doubt my love? How could you not believe in my love? Do I care? What kind of question is that? Don't you know I'm here because I love you? It's the whole point. I'm going into the, I'm going to the cross because I care. Jesus is saying, don't you know you're safer here in the middle of the storm with me than you are outside of the storm without me? You see, they had allowed the voice of the storm to silence the voice of Jesus. And the reason Jesus was going to the cross is precisely because he was going to open their eyes and open their ears and love them with an everlasting love. How could they ask this? And yet, how often do we ask the same question? Do you not care about us, Lord? The pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, he says this, When storms arise, we doubt his love. We allow our faith to be diverted from its anchor in the cross and lose our moorings in the storms of life. We have so little faith. Can we somehow, by God's grace, learn to smile at the storm, knowing that Christ is in the boat with us? There was a father whose 
youngest daughter, his tiniest daughter, one day she decided she wanted to swim across the deep end of the pool, which would then grant her access to the diving board. That was the rule. She was about, to, uh, about six years old at the time. She'd gotten to the point where she could do it. The father knew she could do it. He said, okay, honey, today is the day. It's time for you to get in the water, swim across. The lifeguard's going to watch, and then you're going to be able to jump off the board. She said, daddy, will you be with me? He said, sure, I'll be with you. I'll be standing right here on the side. I'll watch you, and if anything goes wrong, I'll take care of you. She said, no, will you be with me? He said, what do you mean? She said, I want you to swim with me. He said, no, you, he said, you know that I can't help you. I can't hold you up or anything. She said, no, no, I know that. I want you to swim beside me as I go in the pool. And you see, that's much better than standing on the side, isn't it? And just watching. That's much more comforting to a child. And the truth is, what Jesus does is even better than this. He does not just say, I'll stand on the side and watch, or even I'll swim beside you. What he does is what every single parent in this room has done with a child you're teaching to swim. He comes up, holds his hand under our belly. And we may not always feel it, but as we swim and paddle, he's with us. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the author of our faith. He's our champion, our pioneer. He's with us in the boat. I want to meditate on this a little bit longer, and I want to consider the, the character of our God. Consider the character of the triune God as revealed to us in Scripture. Can God the Father be unkind or unloving towards his children? Ask yourself that question. The Scripture tells us that he is, uh, he is the Father of mercies. His mercy endures forever. He says he is God is love. It is said of him that he delights in mercy. He's unchanging. And God loved the world so very much, you know, that he sent his son Jesus to die so that we might be made righteous through him, so that we might be called the children of God. Now, today is Mother's Day. How many moms in this room have thought or have said, if I could take that away from you, baby, if I could take your illness away, if I could take your sorrow, your tears, your hurt upon myself, I would do it in a heartbeat. And then let me ask you, are you more compassionate than the Father? <laughs> no. No. Father, do you care if we drown? How could we ask? And what about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God? He calls us his brothers and his sisters. And is, are his ears deaf to the cries of his bride? Does he not take upon himself real skin and flesh in order to sympathize with us in our weakness, to redeem us? The Bible says he engraves your name upon the palms of his hands. Can you look upon the face of the crucified one and think he doesn't care? What about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit who dwells in us as our comforter. Do you think even now he has no pity for us? Do you think he's a comforter only in name, but he doesn't do it in practice? Is he a comforter without sympathy? Because that would be no comforter at all. Does he exist to mock us? To mock our tears, compound our woes. What does the Bible say? He groans. <laughs> when we have no words, because of our tears, because of our sorrow, because of the storms, he groans for us. The triune God is a God of love. Now think about your own life. What, is, what has God done in your own life, in your past life? How has he led you through countless storms and trials and tribulations and temptations? He's delivered us from the, from the jaws of death more times than we could even know. 
How he has orchestrated events our entire lives for our good and for his glory. And if we could only see with the eyes of God, when we get to heaven, we'll say, that's what that was about? Why did I lack faith? Why did I cry out in anger towards you, Lord? You were doing that. I had no clue. After the hard things we've said and thought about God, he should uh, leave us to perish. He should cast us to the side. But he says, no, I'll never do that. Though you are faithless, I remain faithful. And when the disciples come to Jesus in their panicked, faithless prayers, does he kick them off say, you deserve to drown? He calms the storm. He's filled with compassion and love. What do they learn? What do the disciples learn? What do we learn? That if we flee to Christ, will he calm the raging storms? Yes. Amen. But there's so much more than that because they experienced a tangible parable of everything he had just spoken about earlier in Mark 4. You see, he says, there are no machinations of the devil that can thwart my program. There is no raging fury of the elements. There is no scheme of man. There is no trial in your life, no plot of a devil which will ever capsize this vessel. Because I am the captain on this boat. Our final question then is from the disciples. Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, this is the proper response. This is the proper response to Jesus' rebuke. It's one of awe. It's one of wonder. It's one of love and admiration. It's the same as Job's response. You remember Job? He's been through hell and back. And he talks to God. He says, if I could just talk to God, then everything would be okay. And God talks back and says, hey, were you there when I put the stars in the sky? No. <laughs> no I wasn't there for that. And Job sees his falling. He says this. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about earlier with the parables. You see, the disciples had been with him, but they hadn't seen him. They had heard him, but not really heard him. And now Jesus, the living parable of God, is being revealed to them. The veil is being torn off and they're seeing the power and they're terrified by it. And now they say, who is this? Who is this? We've been with him the whole time. What have we missed? How could we have been so blind? We must draw nearer to him. We must get closer. The same is true of us. Who is Jesus? Not just who is Jesus when the waters are calm, when the air is sweet and breezy. Who is Jesus when a rogue wave is headed our way? Who is Jesus when our children are sick? Who is Jesus when my phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning with terrible news? Who is Jesus when my depression won't go away? Who is Jesus when my marriage is falling apart? And who is Jesus when I'm nearing the end of my life? Who then is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? Now we stand 2,000 plus years on the other side of this event. We have the full revelation of God. And yet here I am, still asking this question, Lord, who are, who are you? I thought I, knew, I thought I knew, and I'm still in awe and wonder of you. Lord, forgive me for not seeing you as the Son of God, the one who is able to calm the storms in my life. This is the secret to our rest, you see. This is the secret to our eternal peace and happiness and rest, is coming to Christ daily going, who are you, Lord? Teach me more. I want to know more. Show me more. I'm in love with everything I see. 
And here's the central truth of this passage. The central truth is not Jesus calmed this storm. Guess what, everybody? Jesus is going to calm every storm in your life. Now you go out there and name it and claim it. He has the power to do that, but he doesn't always do that. Sometimes, as hard as it is to believe, he lets the storm rage for our good. And in this case, his sleeping is an acted out sermon upon, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Coming off of the parables of the kingdom, we can see a correlation here with this tiny little boat and the state of the church in our present time. If you read the articles, it's all doom and gloom, right? Attendance is down. Young people are leaving in droves. Churches are closing doors. The church is falling apart. Signs of the times are dark. Where's revival? Is there any revival? No, there's no revival. But is God asleep? (laughs) No, he's alive. He's awake. He does not slumber nor sleep. God is not dead. He is alive. And if Christ is alive, our joy is alive. And while there is a living Christ, there will always be a living church. There may be times where it seems like he's asleep, but that's only due to my panic, my worry, my exhaustion. And it's only because we hold in our hands this tiny little mustard seed. It's so tiny. It's so dead. This tiny little thing. How will this tiny little thing ever sprout? Here comes God with the growth. And it's often when our boat is completely waterlogged, we have no more strength to bail, we're exhausted when God says, here comes my victory. And you're going to know it's not you, it's going to be me. It's always me. Now I'm going to say to the one today who does not know this, if you do not know Christ's love, here's what I'm going to say to you. A storm does not love you. The cosmos does not love you. A hurricane, an earthquake, a tsunami, none of those things love you. But the one who does love you has called you here today for a purpose. That you might repent of your sins and know the God who is alive. The one who calms storms with his voice. And it may be that someone here is desperate for love. They feel their sins like hungry waves lapping like dogs at their feet. They don't know how to escape a sin, something that's on their backs. I want you to know we prayed for you (laughs) to be here today. We prayed for you to come. Whatever it is that plagues you, cry out to the Lord for deliverance. Keep at it. You will say, I prayed. It seems like he's asleep. God does not care. If you heard a cry of desperation from a child, would you not run to them? Of course you would. You are not kinder than Christ. Cast yourself upon his grace. He says, if you come to me, I will answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, it doesn't matter about the quality of your faith. It's the object of your faith. You don't have to see the anchor at the bottom of the ocean to know that it's holding your boat secure. And though the rope may move and the winds will sway and jostle, the anchor is not moved. Jesus Christ, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. There's a story in the Old Testament almost identical to this one. Do you know what it is? It's the story of Jonah. I want you to consider this for a moment here as we close. Jonah's there on the sea. Both boats are caught in a storm. Both men are asleep, Jesus and Jonah. And in both stories, the sailors wake them up panicking, we're going to die. In both cases, miraculous divine intervention comes. The water's calmed. Now, how did the sailors take care of it with Jonah? Toss him overboard. (laughs) 
It's Jonah's fault in the first place. Because of his sin, because of his disobedience, he's running away from God. He has to go in. There has to be, a, a, his, God's wrath has to be satisfied. So Jonah goes in. If I die, you live, he says. Now this doesn't happen in Mark's story, at least not yet. Because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this. He says, one greater than Jonah is here. He says, I am the true Jonah. I've come willingly to my people. Because God has called me. I have come to call the people to repent. And by my death on the cross, I will calm all storms. I will still all waves. I will put to death, death itself. And he can do this because like Jonah, he will be tossed into a stormy sea of God's wrath. And he will drink the ocean dry. And as the whale spits out Jonah, the grave spat out our Lord as well, didn't it? If you could get a sight of him, if you, could, if you could see Jesus on that boat today, I would never again ask, does God care? The song we're going to sing here right after this is a familiar one. It's written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. Maybe you know the story back in the 1800s. He was a man of wealth, and he was a successful attorney, real estate man who lost a fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. And around that same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. He thought a vacation will help. A vacation will help. I'm going to send my wife and, and family ahead, and, and this will be good for us. We'll need to get away. But he stayed behind on business. And while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship that his four daughters and his wife was on went down. And his four daughters died. His wife alone survived. Upon arriving in England, she sent him a telegram saying, Saved alone, what shall I do? <laughs> Horatio immediately set sail for England. At one point during the voyage, the captain of the ship, he was aware of the tragedy. And he comes to Horatio and he says, We're crossing over the point where your daughter's passed away. I, just want, I thought you'd want to know that. And Horatio sat there and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now perhaps we cannot always say that everything is well in all aspects of our lives. There will always be storms to face trials and tribulations and sins. And, but with faith in a loving God, with trust in his help, we can confidently say, it is well, it is well with my soul.